Iran accused of more deadly interference. This sounds like something from the 1980s in a drug movie. An international murder-for-hire plot with a B.C. connection. Dramatic evidence at the Winters Hotel fire inquest. What new video from inside the building reveals about the fire alarm. And rock and roll relics galore. Lance said don't ever clean it because the DNA is incredible. Auctioning off a collection of items from a lifetime in the music industry. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We start tonight with new allegations Iran will stop at nothing to silence critics of the regime, even in other countries. Two Canadian men are accused of plotting to kill an Iranian defector living in the United States with the help of an Iranian national suspected of running a murder-for-hire scheme. Negar Moshahedi reports. This 2010 shooting at a Vancouver restaurant was part of an escalating gang war, leaving 10 people shot. One was this man, Damien Ryan. He's one of two Canadians with Hell's Angels connections, allegedly hired by an Iranian operative in a murder-for-hire plot on U.S. soil. This sounds like something from the 1980s in a drug movie. Gabriel Narona, a former Iran advisor at the U.S. State Department, says it's a wake-up call. A reminder that they don't have to be ideologically aligned. Um, they're willing to murder for money. In this case, it was $350,000. Um, for, for killing two individuals. The indictment names this man as a defendant. He's Naji Sharifi Zendashti. It states he lives in Iran, operating a criminal network targeting dissidents on behalf of the Iranian regime. He allegedly recruited Ryan, who recruited Adam Richard Pearson, to carry out an attack on two people in Maryland. The indictment states Pearson texted Ryan that he would encourage recruits to shoot the victim in the head a lot to make an example that he would tell them, we got to erase his head from his torso. They're able to network and reach out to groups like Zindashti's organization. Kim Bolin, a Vancouver Sun crime reporter, has investigated cases involving Zendashti and Canadian gangsters. It's very terrifying. And to see sort of the involvement of even low-level Canadian gangsters, BC gangsters, is really frightening. We know there's been a lot of violence uh, amongst gangs in the drug trade, but sort of this politicization of hitmen is really terrifying. This former RCMP investigator says this is more evidence that foreign operatives are operating in Canada. Reality is now set in that we've lost such control of our impact on transnational organized crime that we're so far behind that these individuals are almost operating with impunity. And the sad part of it is that, you know, the diaspora in these various communities are paying a terrible price. While both Canadians are currently in custody on unrelated charges, Iranian dissidents say they continue to live in fear, knowing how easy it could be for Iran to infiltrate local gangsters. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. RCMP in Manitoba have arrested and charged a Vancouver man with second-degree murder in the killing of a woman nearly 17 years ago. 42-year-old Kevin Charles Q was arrested in Vancouver on Saturday. 24-year-old Crystal Saunders was found dead near St. Ambrose, Manitoba in 2007. She was last seen getting into a vehicle in Winnipeg and was found by an off-duty RCMP officer in a shallow ditch the next morning. 
Police were able to extract DNA evidence found on her body and discovered a match in the National DNA Data Bank in 2014. The unknown male contributor of this DNA was identified as Kevin Charles Q. Q's DNA was obtained as a result of previous convictions of other offences outside of Manitoba. From here, the investigation into Crystal's death progressed greatly, which involved police and support staff from across Canada. Q is originally from Winnipeg, where he attended both secondary and post-secondary school. He's currently being held in custody by Surrey RCMP and is expected to be transferred to Winnipeg in the coming days. Three men who were arrested after a horrendous fatal hit-and-run in Surrey on Saturday have been released with conditions. And as Kristen Robinson reports, RCMP still aren't saying much about the investigation. Three men in their 20s now released from custody pending a future court date after a man was found deceased eight blocks from where he was struck in a hit-and-run in Surrey early Saturday. We're, we're currently working to... Uh, confirm the identity of the victim. We have, we do have an idea of who it is. Uh, we're just in the confirming stages right now. And it's sad they didn't call the ambulance right away when it happened. They just, you know, tried to dump the body here. It was sad. Police say the pedestrian was hit around 1.40 a.m. at University Drive and 104 Avenue, where witnesses saw a red Ford Mustang strike the man before taking off. His body was located 1.6 kilometers away meaning the suspect vehicle may have continued north on several main roads and made at least two turns before ending up at 109 Avenue and 132 Street, where a neighbor's surveillance recorded a red Mustang drive by. There was a uh, red Mustang who passed from here and stopped around the corner. Was the victim dragged for eight blocks with the suspect vehicle? I can't confirm that at this time as our investigators are still determining what exactly transpired. Police say the suspect vehicle and its three occupants were quickly located. The trio could face charges of failing to stop at the scene of an accident or a range of offences including dangerous driving if speed or alcohol were involved. If alcohol is involved, which results in death, then you're facing impaired driving causing death. You can't hit somebody and drag them along and not be facing uh, serious criminal consequences. Investigators are still asking anyone to come forward if they were traveling northbound on University Drive, westbound on 108 Avenue, and northbound on 132 Street between 1.40 and 1.50 a.m. Saturday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A warning now about some of the images in our report from the Winters Hotel Inquest. They include video taken inside the hotel as the deadly fire began to spread. Grace Key shows us more, including the startling number of fires at Vancouver SROs. We heard from a couple of members from the Vancouver Fire Department. We also got a chance to see some new video that was taken on the day of the fire on April 11th, 2022. You can clearly hear a fire alarm going off. There were questions if the alarm went off or was even working. A captain from the urban compliance team testified that some of the Aterra buildings are some of the more problematic buildings in our portfolio. They seem to have the false alarms and the higher rates of fire. But there were other buildings of greater concern. A deputy chief with fire prevention said between 2020 to the day of that fire on April 11th, 2022, one SRO had eight 
100 responses. The winters had 89. He explained how challenging SROs can be. Recently, firefighters were putting out a fire while another fire started in another floor at an SRO building. He said issues can be addressed one moment and the next the same issue would occur. Smoke alarms can be disconnected in rooms. Hoarding and smoking materials is also a huge concern. He said SROs just can't be in these 100-year-old buildings. We also heard how there were a number of changes within the Vancouver Fire Department after the Winters Hotel fire. For example, previously there was a focus on education when issues came up. Now it's on enforcement. In 2022, 54 tickets were issued. That number went up six times the following year. Prosecutions also doubled, but still that hasn't made a big change when it comes to compliance. In Burnaby, Grace Key, Global News. The heliski crash in BC's northwest last Monday has now claimed a fourth life. And we're learning more about two of those who were killed. Seven people were on board the chopper, which went down 50 kilometers northwest of Terrace last Monday. Three died at the scene. A fourth has now died in hospital. Three other people remain in stable condition. Northern Escape Heliskiing and Skyline Helicopters have now identified the pilot, Mark McGowan, and guide, Lewis Ainsworth, as two of those killed. Search and rescue recovered three bodies from the remote site over the weekend after efforts were hampered for several days by poor weather and limited visibility. Several investigations are now underway to determine what caused the crash. The weekend's heavy rain is reinforcing the need to upgrade flood controls in the Fraser Valley, according to farmers who once again found their properties underwater. As Angela Jung reports, areas like Sumas Prairie are in danger of a repeat of the 2021 disaster, and farmers are demanding more flood mitigation money from Ottawa. The ducks seem to enjoy it, but it's no pond, rather a flooded field. Anytime it rains out here and we get those atmospheric rivers, um, yeah, people get very anxious. To give you an idea of how much water parts of the Sumas Prairie can get, well, some of the picnic tables are nearly underwater and the water level is so high it almost reaches the seat of the swing set. Abbotsford's mayor says more flood protection is urgently needed. Last summer, the city submitted a $1.6 billion application for funding from Ottawa, but hasn't heard back. The money would help pay for a new Sumas River pump station, complete upgrades to the Barrowtown pump station, and add water storage. This is a provincial and federal issue. Um, Abbotsford just happens to be the epicenter where it, it happens. So frustrating that, that we're just not being, you know, it feels like we're not being heard. Premier David Eby is now in Ottawa. He says he will be discussing issues of critical infrastructure with his federal counterparts. We do want to see the, the federal government uh, show up at the table with the money uh, to uh, make real their commitments around this area. The catastrophic floods in November 2021 inundated 15,000 hectares of farmland and killed tens of thousands of animals. At the time, the Prime Minister visited flood-ravaged areas. What was shared with us is that whatever we needed, they would be there for us to back us up. So we are anticipating that they will come through on that, on that promise. It's unclear when Abbotsford will find out if its application was successful, but Mayor Siemens says they can't afford to wait any longer. Angela Jung, Global News. 
The B.C. government is putting a two-year freeze on new private post-secondary institutions. The stoppage gives the province more time to update and strengthen rules to protect foreign students and close immigration loopholes. Richard Zussman reports. It's a new level of scrutiny for a business model that's run unchecked for years. We know that over the last few years, the international education system here in British Columbia has not been working as well as it should. On Monday, the province announcing private colleges and universities in B.C. must prove new programs meet labour market demands while providing a standard of education. Private post-secondary institutions also will be receiving more frequent inspections to meet those standards. We've been hearing about poor quality education, a lack of instructors, um, and even scaring away students from lodging formal complaints. This all comes as the federal government is cracking down on international students, auto-imposing a cap on student visas, targeting a 35% reduction in students studying from abroad. The B.C. government is currently negotiating with the federal government on the cap here, asking for very specific exemptions. A training uh, LPNs, uh, the nurses who work in long-term care facilities, for example, uh, and support our health care system. Uh, training for daycare workers, child care workers. Experts say the challenge is anticipating those future needs. The government is not actually very good at economic forecasting, and it isn't always very good at figuring out which job paths are going to be really productive in the future. There are approximately 82,000 international students at public institutions in B.C. and at 280 different schools, 94,000 students in private institutions. B.C. will get to choose how they cap applicants for both the private and public institutions. I think it's probably somewhat irrelevant to the biggest universities, but it is, I'm sure, going to intensely affect the smaller and, and um, smaller universities and colleges. Those recruiting international students to BC are worried about these changes, saying that most companies are welcoming students like these and are not bad actors. Schools already reporting international students are backing out coming to BC for this upcoming year as they grapple with the new rules, finalized or not. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The federal government has delivered its first economic statement of the year, attempting to assure Canadians this country is on the right path. Finance Minister Christian Freeland says inflation has fallen from a recent high of 8.1% to 3.4%, and wage growth has outpaced inflation for 11 straight months. She says one of her government's priorities for the coming year will be to create more housing. Freeland admits recently announced limits on international students will provide relief for housing demand, but it does not indicate a shift away from welcoming new Canadians. Our government, and I think the vast majority of Canadians, continue to recognize that Canada's diversity is our strength, um, that immigration is a strength for Canada, and the ability to welcome immigrants is a strength for Canada. We need to be sure that we do it properly and that loopholes in the system are not being abused. Wine wars escalate between Alberta and B.C., we're the only country on the planet that has this kind of interprovincial uh, regulation. Wine producers are already reeling from winter kill and wildfires. Now they face a multi-million dollar blow with a crackdown on direct-to-consumer sales in Alberta. Their plea for provincial intervention coming up next on the News Hour. 
original John Bonham's robe from Led Zeppelin. An amazing collection of rock and roll memorabilia that'll leave you dazed and confused later on the news hour. Let's see what you do there. <laughs> also, giving the gift of life. How BC organ donors set a record coming up a little later. Right now, though, it has been a challenging year for BC winemakers, first battling the elements from Mother Nature and now facing a trade threat from our neighbours to the east. Alberta is promising to enforce the ban on direct-to-consumer sales across the border. And as Cassidy Moscone reports, wineries are worried about the consequences if they don't comply. Ravaged by fire in the summer and frozen fields in the winter, the Okanagan wine region has fallen on hard times. We're farmers and we're vulnerable, and this is a particularly vulnerable time. Now, a new threat, the Alberta government, who local winemakers say are taking aim at their industry. Somebody rolled their sleeves up and, and really took a shot. Global News received a copy of a letter sent out by Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis, which essentially tells BC producers to cease shipping wine direct to customers across provincial borders. And if they don't, AGLC will refuse shipments for their products to be stocked in Albertan restaurants and liquor stores. Stores. We're the only country on the planet that has this kind of interprovincial uh, regulation. Every other country, you can ship within your national borders. This is, this is absurd. In a statement, the AGLC said their model levels the playing field and called the move an opportunity for BC wineries to market their product to Albertans through legal channels. It feels like we've had a few rough years and uh, this is one more thing to add to the list, but um, we will find a way to get wine to Alberta. The province says it's working on a compromise with Alberta. It comes as wine growers, British Columbia plea for up to $317 million in financial assistance for a crop renewal program after an estimated 29% of the industry's acreage succumbed to winter damage. What most of us are hoping for at this point is that um, we don't lose everything and that the, uh, the vines survive and there'll be less wine, period. Whether it's climate or government bureaucracy, responsible. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Well, the federal government is promising further action to rein in the rising price of food in Canada. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne says he's disappointed the major grocery chains have not cooperated in providing information on market studies and pricing. He says the key to stabilizing food costs is increased competition. He's sending a letter to the competition commissioner to urge grocers to be more transparent in their efforts to fight food inflation. I am confident that the Bureau will take full advantage of the new powers granted to them to further address the concerns of Canadian consumers when it comes to the price of food. You can count on us to continue to hold the grocers' feet to the fire, and as we push for more competition, not only in this sector, but I would say across the Canadian economy. Help for the homeless get some pushback. These decisions are being made with literally zero consultation of the surrounding neighbourhood. Coming up, why the provincial government says supportive housing in Nanaimo is the right thing to do. Also ahead, another potential roadblock in the mayor's plan to abolish the Vancouver Park Board. The province says it's successfully adding supports for people who are unhoused. But in Nanaimo, it's the way the housing ministry is going about it that has some residents fired up. Kylie Stanton shows us more. 
Over the past five years, these sirens have become the soundtrack of the Newcastle neighborhood. The crime and homeless population here growing steadily, along with Nanaimo residents' frustrations. And you're coming in with a temporary making it a flophouse. Boiling over Monday as the city and province announced what was meant to be a positive step towards addressing the problem. It is a day for celebration in this community. The two levels of government signed this memorandum of understanding, formalizing their commitment to provide more supports for those who are unhoused and sheltering in encampments. It establishes a, a shared vision, but it also establishes uh, some additional housing opportunities. Work is already underway to provide an additional 100 units in the city. 50 temporary spots here at 1300 Island Highway South, along with this permanent supportive housing complex on Purdue Street, opening in the coming weeks. Those living here at Newcastle Place will be the first to move in. Instead of it being developed into a more permanent facility, it will remain open and operating as is. The staff will be able to stay and work with new people to bring them to that next step in their life. But the decision has caught residents off guard, leaving officials on the defensive. A permanent facility after five years and three months of hell and back. It's really a lot to ask our community to continue to support that. Back in March, the area was rocked after a local businessman was shot trying to retrieve what he says were stolen items from a homeless encampment. Enough is enough! The incident left residents calling for real solutions. Indeed, good news. This announcement, they say, falls short. If they can get rid of the drug trafficking and the gangs and the violence, this would be a whole lot easier to take. But right now, the province does not have a handle on this. Officials admitting addressing the problem is going to require some patience. This is just a start. There's still more that needs to be done. And we can only fix it if we do it together. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The Vancouver Park Board will consider seeking legal advice on fighting back against Mayor Ken Sims' motion to abolish it. On Monday, the board will consider a motion by Commissioner Tom Digby to retain legal counsel to advise it on next steps and the feasibility of a judicial review to quash the mayor's motion. That legal advice would be paid for using $20,000 from the park board's reserve funds. Digby says it's unfortunate the money has to be spent, but he says this is not a fight he started. People love their elected park board here in Vancouver, and it's done a lot of good over 135 years. So we are um, anxious to preserve it. And um, uh, I regret uh, that money, it does cost money to do this, uh, but uh, we know who's forced us down this path, and it's not us. Vancouver's three non-ABC party city councillors will hold a town hall on Thursday to hear from the public on the park board's future. The construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion appears to have hit another obstacle. Trans Mountain Corporation says it recently encountered what it calls technical issues with the project that could delay its completion. It says it needs more time to determine, quote, the safest and most prudent actions for minimizing further delay. The company is aiming to get the project finished and in service during the second quarter of this year. Once complete, the pipeline expansion will triple the capacity of the existing pipeline that carries petroleum products back and forth between Alberta and B.C.'s south coast. Still ahead, Canada tackles foreign interference.
These allegations have sparked significant debate. The inquiry to uncover the influence of communist China in Canadian politics. And after a record-breaking year, how many British Columbians like this patient are alive today because of organ donation? We're already who BC starts their morning with. The fact that they tune in to us means I think that we're doing a good job. Viewers just want trustworthiness. They want us to be credible. Wake up to Global News Morning. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We are BC's News. The long-awaited public inquiry into foreign interference got underway today in Ottawa. It will determine how, if at all, operatives from China, Russia, Iran and India may have interfered in the 2019 and 2021 elections and other democratic processes. David Aiken reports. Part of the reason the government convened this inquiry is because of reporting that Global News and others did and continues to do about foreign interference in Canadian political affairs. Case in point, Global News has learned that the federal government ordered a Chinese woman deported after immigration officials concluded she was working for the government of communist China to try to silence criticism and dissent by members of the Chinese diaspora here in Canada. The Immigration and Refugee Board ruled that Jing Zhang had worked for the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office for 11 years and that that organization, quote, was and remains involved in espionage against Communist China's targeted individuals and groups in Canada. The judge overseeing the public inquiry into foreign interference acknowledged the role Global News and others had in putting these issues on the public agenda. Given the importance of protecting our democracy, these allegations have sparked significant debate and discussion both at the political level and in the media. Indeed, Global News and other news organizations have legal standing at this inquiry as part of a media coalition. We will be here to make sure and defend the right of the public to information. Several groups will join the media coalition to push the commission to put as much information as possible on the public record. Transparency is necessary to ensure Canadians have confidence in their, in their elections. Canadians have the right to know what happened, how their government responded, and the ongoing threats that may persist. And we hope through this process that the Canadians will not be left in the dark. But the commission must also protect national security and the security of some witnesses. And that means some information will have to remain secret. For this week, the topic at hand is national security confidentiality. And so that is the commission's first key task, sorting out the rules around handling top secret information. And that's a task that could take most of the rest of the week. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. BC is setting a record for organ donation. And while it is a bittersweet gift, hundreds are being given a new lease on life. Janet Brown now has more on those saved by organ donation and the thousands of other British Columbians still on a waiting list. After a tragic surfing accident in Tofino, 36-year-old Michael Brown became one of the 160 deceased donors who gave the gift of life last year as a registered organ donor. He was definitely someone who liked to push boundaries. He was really smart. Cooler trips than we ever Flipping through photo albums along with his parents, Ross and Mary Brown. Yeah, look at that hair. <sighs> Michael's wife, Jacqueline Coe, says he decided to sign up as an organ donor when he received his driver's license at the age of 20. 
people always think things aren't going to happen to them, but they can and do happen. Kevin Tucker is a liver transplant recipient, getting his new organ last August after being diagnosed with cancer in 2022. The only cure for the cancer was a transplant. The uh, radiation treatment was only to slow the growth down, which would give me more time to get a transplant. 563 people received a transplant last year in B.C. thanks to the gifts from 160 deceased donors and 77 living kidney donors. Just over 6,100 people are alive today thanks to an organ donation, but 512 people are still on the wait list. It's a record for uh, ever in, in BC Transplant and the province's history. Executive Director with BC Transplant Eric Lund says this province is a leader in the country when it comes to transplants. Last year we are about 29 donors per million. Um, in Canada the national average was around 21 donors per million. So we believe we're leading the country in that respect. Michael's wife Jacqueline is urging people to think about organ donation and have that tough conversation with family. He felt strongly that, you know, he, if he didn't need those organs and tissues, um, that someone else could benefit from it. Becoming an organ donor can be done online and it only takes a few minutes. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, an auction extravaganza. We believe 100% this is the original photo. From Jimi Hendrix in repose to Rolling Stones on the road, a personal collection of pop culture artifacts now open for bidding. And just ahead in sports, the Canucks, Fab Five. And how the NHL All-Star Weekend is already a record setter for the team. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. It's been a roller coaster winter for many of the province's mountain resorts, including in the Okanagan. Yeah, definitely a slow start. Season began, yes, with very little snow, delaying some openings. And then there was extreme cold. And now the latest challenge above seasonal temperatures. One of our areas is called Powder Gulch. We have quite a lot of steep, uh, steep terrain, double black diamonds, and we've closed those for safety precautions. We're going to keep monitoring those to see how it goes just for snow safety. Very spring-like indeed. Uh, matter of fact, down low is not good at all for my type of ski. I haven't got the, wrong, the right uh, wax on them, so I'm actually sticking to the, the snow down low. We had one run in particular that's a main kind of feeder run, and it, um, it really was getting impacted by the weather. So we just thought in order to save it for our weekend crowds, we would shut it down. The good news, the hills say the forecast for February and March looks much better. But that is looking way into the future. Mm -hmm. Well, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast and maybe a little sneak peek into the final couple of months of the ski season. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was just having a little giggle because I think it's pretty tough to, to know exactly what March is going to um, mean for us. But what we do know is by the weekend at the very uh, latest, we're going to see temperatures drop. We're going to come back to near seasonal values. So there's plenty more winter to come, that's for sure. I want to just quickly have a look at the Monday's record lows. So today we broke potentially both our record lows, meaning it was very warm last night and this morning, and then our record highs as well. 
well. So in Vancouver, hitting 11.7 degrees, breaking a record from 1992. Uh, at, with the old one was uh, 7.4 Pitt Meadows, Victoria and Comox. We broke nine record lows. Yesterday, we broke record highs as well. And these are the potential record highs that we saw. West Vancouver hitting 17.3 degrees. So these are unofficial records. We're still waiting for Environment Canada to verify them. But these are some of the preliminary numbers anyways. Certainly exceptional. And it's because of this really strong plume of that southwest flow. And there's the atmospheric river that has continued to target the Vancouver Island, Sunshine Coast and Howe Sound all day long. Just in this last little bit, you can see it starting to push into Metro Vancouver. And that will be the case overnight. So it is beginning to swing out of the way. Heavy rain for Metro Vancouver overnight. And then it continues to shift east. Tomorrow, we still have a fair amount of cloud in the forecast. But overall, it looks to be mostly dry. And we may even catch some breaks of blue sky, believe it or not. And it will be mild, so it'll feel like spring tomorrow. Nice breaks of blue sky and through the Caribou Central Interior. The BC Peace River has been beautiful as well. Here's a look at the region. Any drops that you see in these icons is really just in the morning when the system pushes out or later in the day when the next system drives in. Yes, we're not done with this series of uh, systems just yet. We've got another one on deck for Wednesday. Wednesday's going to be very wet and mild. And then uh, we still have a few more showers in the forecast beyond that. But you can see seven degrees by Saturday, back to near seasonal values. So all you skiers and snowboarders, don't give up on the season just yet. Nice shot looking out from um, Abbotsford over the Sumas Prairie. But what's not great, of course, you can see a lot of water on the ground there. Thanks, Alan, for sharing that right. great shot. All right. Thanks, Christy. Just a beautiful sunrise. Uh, okay, Squire joins us now. Success is being rewarded for the Canucks here, Squire. Well, the Canucks will have quite a few players and a coach in uh, this weekend's All-Star festivities. So we will talk to some of those stars. Also, um, can Taylor Swift make this year's Super Bowl? <laughs> That's a big question right now. Very important. Very Everybody important. wants to know. Also coming up tonight. And he was one of those guys you would just gravitate to and you, you were hoping you'd run across him. Selling off an incredible collection from a man who spent a lot of time around rock and roll royalty. fun to think about if the playoffs started today. <laughs> right? Well, when the playoffs yeah. do start, I mean, you think about how long it's been since Vancouverites have seen a home playoff game because the bubble playoffs are in Edmonton. It will be huge when it happens. It won't happen for a few months yet, but if Vancouver was to start the playoffs right now, we would have the home ice advantage throughout the entire playoffs. And at this very moment, the national game against Ottawa is going on right now. Still, St. Louis would be the round one opponent, which for some reason is a team that seems to give the Canucks trouble. But Vancouver would still be the favorite because the Canucks have been unstoppable this season. And they are powered by five players and a head coach who are going to be part of All-Star Week in Toronto. Back out. Takes the pass. Steps around Johnson. It was fitting that Elias Pettersson, set up by Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes, scored the overtime winner because all three are part of a large Canucks contingent all-star bound. JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, and coach Rick Tockett all heading to Toronto for all-star weekend. Half a dozen Canucks, the largest number to ever represent the franchise at all-star festivities. Yeah, it's amazing because usually 
you know, there's guys, just the way the format is, there's guys that are left out that are um, deserving to be there. And um, it was nice to see that some of the guys in here that have had really good seasons, just as good as anyone in the league right now, have all made it in. And um, I'm happy to see Taco there too. He deserves it. And uh, obviously Petey and Millsy, and Millsy being his first All-Star game, and Demko and Brock, it's going to be fun being with them. Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part, is being able to share it with the guys. Um, really proud of uh, what they've been able to accomplish this year and um, the leadership that they've all kind of taken on and, and put upon themselves. And uh, yeah, it be really fun to, to share that experience with them. And the experience the Canucks are offering up night in and night out continues to have them atop the NHL standings. Nobody had Vancouver a possible President's Trophy winner this season or a cup contender. They remain one of the league's highest scoring teams and currently are a league best plus 59 in goal differential. They're also one of the stingiest teams when it comes to goals against, with Demko being a strong contender to win the Vesna as the league's top goalie. I didn't really expect this many guys to be going, um, but it's obviously an honor and um, I think it'll be fun to, to you know have those guys there. And, and be with them and, and enjoy the whole experience with them. So, um, you know, it's been a, a great year and it just shows like um, how hard we've worked. But, you know, it's not, you know, it's an honor to all, all of the other guys in the locker room on how we've been playing and, and how good we've been playing as a team. I'm playing with some uh, very talented players and a special group in here. So um, I know we have a bigger agenda at the end of the day than going to play in the game, but, you know, it's a special thing. So uh, We got five guys in this thing. I mean, that's pretty special to have the Vancouver Crest represented by five guys in, in, in a you know, hockey mecca. So it's a credit to those guys and the organization. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps obviously brought some contracts and pens with them to Spain for training camp because they have re-signed another player. This time it's defender Tristan Blackman, who has been with Vancouver for two seasons. Started uh, 62 games over his time with the Whitecaps so far. Last year, three goals, intercepted 36 passes. This new contract's going to last through 2027. He's a solid veteran, but the Whitecaps probably could use some more help on the back line. So the NFL got what it wanted. A coming together of the Super Bowl and Taylor Swift. That'll cause a pop culture big bang. And you know what the biggest story will be during Super Bowl week? Well, actually, the discussions have already begun. Can Taylor Swift finish a concert in Tokyo on Saturday night and then get to Las Vegas in time for the game on Sunday, February 11th? Between her guys' team, Kansas City and San Francisco. Taylor Swift's private jet is going to be tracked more than that jet was when it came from L.A. to Toronto, when Blue Jay fans thought Shohei Otani was on it, but he wasn't. They'll probably take bets in Vegas on this, but Taylor Swift does have the advantage of the international dateline, and Vegas is 17 hours behind Tokyo time, so if the flight's around 13 hours and she doesn't do too many encores, she should make it before kickoff. Canada will get an extra bronze medal from the last Winter Games. We finished fourth in teams figure skating, but today... One of the Russian skaters from their gold medal team, Camilla Velieva, was disqualified for a doping violation. So, like an inquiry in horse racing, the Russians are kicked off the podium. Canada moves up to third place. The U.S. will win gold and Japan will get the silver. All right. Thanks for the Taylor Swift update, Squire. You're quite welcome. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Okay, good times, bad times, a colorful life in the music industry captured in a collection that's going up for auction next.
Already who BC starts their morning with. The fact that they tune into us means I think that we're doing a good job. Viewers just want trustworthiness. They want us to be credible. Wake up to Global News Morning. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We are BC's News. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, Surrey Council is expected to vote tonight on the school district's capital plan for 2024-25. The plan was rejected by council last month over what councillors felt were low growth projections for the next decade. We'll see what happens tonight. At least one councillor, Linda Annis, is now saying she'll reluctantly support the capital plan, but she's also calling for a new formula to calculate enrollment. All of this as the number of portables in Surrey rapidly approaches 400. The full story on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. So during the snow report and commercial breaks, Sophie has been browsing, <laughs> shopping online. I've been looking. But it's at, all work-related. It's all work-related. <laughs> I'm looking at this auction, uh, including a John Bonham's bathrobe. Yes. There's a lot of things from music history. And there's other things as well in this um, auction, which is actually starting tomorrow at 1 o'clock and then Wednesday at 1 o'clock. It's online, iCollector.com. So let's look into this pop culture collection, which is up for sale. If you look online, this one's in very nice condition for the age of it. This is a pop culture collection from Mark Stadnick, who passed away two years ago after spending his life in the music industry. His, his road name was Lance. He had bands in Vancouver of his own, right? the slam and flight and rage and then he had the opportunity to get in with brian adams he offered him a job as his guitar tech right and away they went and where they went was all over the world where stadnick was able to meet other rock stars and build an impressive collection of memorabilia and autographs a show schedule in dallas texas in 94 and as you can see brian adams is one of the backup bands for yeah, the rolling yeah. stones so he got all of this there are old microphones. It's a 1960s microphone. It's called Magnetic Morelli. Him and Adams collected together. They went around and they collected microphones, right? There are old guitars and amplifiers, but Stadnick really turned it up to 11 when it came to Beatles memorabilia. Here, this is just a novelty thing. It might be a couple hundred, the Beatles hairspray, right? Have you ever used it? Never used it. But of all the pieces in this collection, the piece de resistance, is this robe that once belonged to John Bonham, the drummer from Led Zeppelin. We researched it online. There's a picture online. If you look up John Bonham's robe, there's a picture of him sitting in the robe, right? After a concert, right? right. He'd put it on after the concert, right? It looks so. like this robe has never been cleaned. I don't think it is. And Lance said, don't ever clean it because the DNA is incredible. Well, I'm sure it is. <laughs> it's probably also disturbing. <laughs> exactly. But despite its questionable condition, this robe is getting a whole lot of love from interested collectors. It's kind of an unknown. Somebody's come in and said to me, someone really knowledgeable, a drummer has said that could bring 15,000. Someone else said it could be a thousand. But what would you do with it? I guess I'd frame it under glass, put it in my, my little man cave and, 
when I'm listening to music, I would think, God, there's, John, there's a piece of history. I have to admit, when I was there, I mean, I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan. Yeah. I did not touch that robe. No. Okay, it's, I sense that you were a little grossed out That is not surprising to me. No. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I, not at all. I walk around antique stores the way I walk around hospitals, like this, <laughs> or hands in pocket. Yeah. Uh, by the, the way, it's, the current bid is 3800 It'll probably go up from there, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. So, so. iCollector.com. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of cool things, but that's yeah. the, the big one. Well, I guess Beatle fans will like some of the other stuff as well. The yeah, and that Rolling Stone That framed. actually is cool too, yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, uh, warm in, in the weather, and I guess that's all the time we have for that. Thanks, <laughs> Gordo, and thanks for watching, everybody. No worries. Have a good night, all.